Today we bring you a conversation with the man, the myth, the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. The mooch went to Harvard Law, founded a hedge fund, Skybridge Capital, and became President Trump's communications director in 2017. He's come a long way since and is now one of the president's fiercest critics. He joins us today to tell us about his journey from right-hand man to front-row foe. You guys heard Max Tui. I'm Max Frost. Next, you'll hear from Matt Winesett. This is Banter, the official podcast of the American Enterprise Institute, and we are thrilled to have you listening today. As a reminder, new episodes of Banter are available every week, sometimes twice a week. If you want to know when they come out, email us at banter at AEI.org, and we'll add you to our newsletter. Also, feel free to send us thoughts, comments, concerns, any feedback. We love to hear from you, and we always reply. But now, without further ado, here is the mooch. Governor Haley, thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Mr. George Will, welcome. Glad to be with you. Arthur Brooks, welcome back. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Ambassador Wolfowitz, pleasure to have you. Nice to be here. Thanks. Miss Peggy Noonan, thank you for coming. Guys, thank you very much for having me. Mr. Bolton, it's an honor for you to be with us today. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. J.D. Vance, welcome. Thank you for having me. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on and uh, a lot going on in the world. Absolutely. So, Anthony, our first question here. You know President Trump. You know him well, and you know his inner circle well. Who does he want to run against in November? Well, I, I mean, I would rank him in the following order. I would say Bernie Sanders is number one. Elizabeth Warren would be number two. And then I think it drops off from there. And I would say that the person he would w- want to run against least would be Mike Bloomberg. And then just below that would be Joe Biden. And so the ones in the middle, I think he's indifferent to. But that, that, that's probably where things shape up. Anthony, so have you decided on a candidate you're going to be supporting for this cycle? Listen, I, I'm, I know this sounds crazy. I don't think Trump's going to make it. I, I don't see how Trump can make it to the November 2020 election. So if he doesn't make it and they put up a Republican candidate who tries to restore elements of the Republican Party, then I, then I am, uh, you know, I'm probably going to vote for a Republican. But if Trump is on the ballot, I will definitely not vote for Trump. Uh, having said that, if they put up Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, Trump will beat one of them. For, it'll be a 40-state landslide, and uh, you know, it'll be a Jeremy Corbyn-like situation in the United States. So, so we have to see what happens. Um, but... Um, I think it's a combination of health issues, uh, rank illegality, full-blown criminal lawlessness, and a combination of other different things. Uh, and, this, and this impeachment, the fact set that's uh, set before the Congress this coming week with impeachment is the tip of the iceberg of the criminality of what's going on. And so there'll be more shoes to drop and there'll be more... You know, they'll acquit him this time, but there'll be more impeachment inquiries. Yeah, at the same time, the Republicans support him, I think, about 95% approval within the party. And anything is going to have to go through the Senate. That's a Trump Trump line. You can't – tell me the poll that you're citing for that because the 538 guys, Salil Statistics, and Real Clear Politics has him at about 72% for the Republicans. Now, he puts up the 95 because he makes – He's made up 6, 16,400 things since uh, his inauguration three years ago. So, 
So where, what poll are you referencing with the 95%? Anthony, when you say that, and I buy that, I think you hear anecdotally a lot of dissatisfaction with the president, especially among the more well-educated ranks of the Republican Party. But the, don't you see, and I know this is something you fought again, you talk about it a lot, who's the alternative to Trump? And if you stand up against him, if you try to be Mitt Romney or Pierre Delecto when he is after hours, you know, how do you provide an alternative to President Trump when he dominates the power structure and online sort of battlefield for the Republican Party? Oh, oh, okay, so we're, we're moving past the poll issue. Okay, so let's let's go into that. Um, I think that's but, Anthony. We didn't think we'd beat you in arguments today. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. No. No. But I'm just saying. I mean, I because I, I'm I'm looking at polls. I, I he puts stuff up on his Twitter feed. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But you know that's fine. Including the but, overall Rasmussen uh, approval ratings. No, the Rasmussen number is 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 actually accurate, and I and I and I always speak the truth from what I can tell of what's going on, but the. Real Clear Politics composite, which includes the Rasmussen number, is been you know misalocked at forty one percent for about two and a half years. So, it, and, and if you look at his matchups with the Democrats, and it could be any one of them, you have a Baskin Robbins variety of Democrats right now. He's misalocked at forty four percent. So, so if you're inside the Trump campaign, and again, I know most of the insiders, I know Brad, I know situation. Obviously, I worked on the campaign last time and was on the president's executive transition team after he was elected. So if you look at those numbers, you have to be concerned because there's not a lot of space there. People have made up their minds. They have three years of data. And so he's at 44. Uh, Now, I'll say something. It sounds like you guys are Trump supporters, so I'll say something that'll probably make you guys happy. Michael Moore, who hates Trump's guts, uh, says the magic number is 46%. And so the president could literally lose the popular vote by 7 million votes and still come come through the matrix of the 11 swing states and win the electoral college vote. So, so again, I'm not one of these people that, you know, is going to spin you. I don't want to see him reelected because I think he is destroying the system of government that we've had for 244 years He's corrupted the presidency. He's trying to break the checks and balances in that system. Um, and he's figured out with his acolytes how to uh, subvert the Congress. And so for those reasons, I don't want him reelected. And, and Trump is a systemic problem. But the bigger problem are the Republicans that you're referencing. They, they go down in history as a rogues galley of willing accomplices to lawless behavior, moral recklessness, and the, you know, in general, turpitude of, torpitude of the presidency. So, so for me, you got the Trump problem, but then you have the death of the Republican Party, which is what we're witnessing right now. And so well, he gets acquitted. You're now in the Trumpist Party. You right. have a few uh, Republicans in exile like me, but they're Vichy Republicans. Look, First of all, we're not Trumpers, but we also are looking at this situation from a perspective that a lot of, you know, Vegas thinks he's going to be two-term presidency. A lot of pundits think he's going to be a two-term president. And quite frankly, we're starting to sec- suspect it'll be a two-term presidency. So some of these questions we have are based on 
our political outlook. Just yeah, but by the, by the way, I'm, and I'm I'm a realist. Okay, they put up a uh, Elizabeth Warren. He'll have a two-term presidency, but what you two guys and myself should be worried about is a three-term presidency. This guy is a train wreck of a human being, and uh, and and he's going to cause a big-time disaster. And by the way, if you looked at if he was a standard-issue politician with these econ- this economic data. He'd have a 61% approval rating, 62% approval rating. So, Anthony, given all this and given the emergency so many people think is required to defeat him, what do you think the New York Times was thinking last night with their endorsement, where they endorsed Elizabeth Warren, maybe the one person Trump wants to see the most, and Klobuchar, uh, another senator that most voters probably have not even heard of? Well, the New York Times is more concerned with virtue signaling than they are picking a presidential candidate. They are collectively too liberal and self-conscious related to their virtue signaling. So they couldn't pick just, quote-unquote, one woman, okay? And the great irony of this is these women, uh, uh, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Warren, think very, very differently. And if you look through their websites and you look through their policy proposals, they're not opposites because they're in the same party, but they are shades difference in color of blue in terms of where they're going. So it's just the New York Times is basically pumping the ball, uh, they want they want a woman, I guess, to win the presidency, and so those are the two that are on the debate uh, stage right now. So they pick both of them. So that was virtue signaling equivocation, and 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 that plays well for for President Trump. So uh, what he's done a spectacular job of doing is outing these liberals and exposing their hypocrisy. You know, so somebody like Bill Maher, who is a liberal, if you watch his show. You know, he would call out nonsense like that. And so that's that's just hopeless equivocation on their part. Well, you're talking to three Bill Maher fans right here, so we can agree with that. But now, yeah, obviously... I'll be on Bill's show March 6th. You know, I'll be back on the show. I, I loved your last appearance. <clears throat> we'll, be t- we'll be tuning well, in there. My last appearance uh, cost me uh, my relationship with the president because I was out on the show defending him. There are 26 letters in the alphabet. I was defending him 25 out of 26 times. Catherine Rampell turns to me, well, what about the full-blown racist comments against the congresswoman? Well, you know what? Those are full-blown racist comments. I can't defend those. I've got, uh, got a 35,000-account client base at Skybridge Capital. I'm of Italian-American heritage. They told my grandmother to go back to the country that she came from. Uh, she produced three children. One was my mom, and two served in World War II decorated, wounded World War II veterans. So should my grandmother have gone back to the country that she came from? That is a racist nativist trope. And so I use, I say, hey, sorry, that's full-blown racism. So Trump hit Bill Maher the next day. He then hit me. Of course, I'm not going to take his nonsense. I know how to deal with a bully. And then he does something, which is classic Trump. He goes after my wife, who is a suburban housewife. Now, I don't know anybody wearing a MAGA hat or anybody that goes to a Trump rally that I have talked to that thinks it's normal for the president of the United States, uh, somebody that I gave over a million dollars to three years of my life, hundreds of hours of media advocacy to go after my suburban housewife who's never said anything about him publicly, who's at home with her two children raising them. So this is a full-blown fascist, okay? You going after individual citizens from your 150 million social media follower tweet, uh, you know, uh, through a tweet, 
which is literally one and a half times the Super Bowl, the audience. If you're going after individual citizens like that, you are a full-blown fascist, and you need to be removed from the power structure of a Republican constitutional democracy. So, so I'll be working, whether it doesn't matter, I'll be working very, very hard to dislodge him. And since I started speaking out about him in August, you know, he's not doing great. He's, he's the third president to be in peace in the history of the United States. Uh, he'll likely be acquitted, but he has been significantly and horrifically damaged uh, by the impeachment. And remember, to win this thing, it's 15 million voters. The, the, the voters in New York have already decided that's where I live. The voters in California have already decided. But there's 15 million people, and I'll be traveling in uh, two swing states a week for the next 10 months, working on explaining to people what this guy is really like, how he's corrupted the executive branch, and how he does not deserve a, a, a second term. And by the way, if he gets a second term, you know, you, you're, you're going to watch the full-blown destruction of the Republican Party. Uh, Lincoln's party will be, uh, will be long over. I mean, there's, there's no way those guys uh, are going to be able to uh, face the music of this level of lawlessness once the personality cult disintegrates. So, Anthony, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking that you supported the president. You probably knew him from your time in New York, running in similar circles. Uh, what did you expect when you went to work for him? I mean, a lot of people hated him from the beginning, and your opinion of him changed over time. So how exactly that happened? Was it his management style, his personality? What did you realize once no, you joined I, the No, I think that's a very fair criticism of me. And, and let many of my liberal friends say, well, Trump of 2020 is the same Trump of 2015. And so uh, uh, what about him changed? And so my answer to that is, you know, maybe nothing about him changed, but something about me changed. Um, you know, when I went to go work for him, I was the standard issue Republican fundraiser, standard issue uh, Wall Street executive that was out there bundling for Republican candidates like Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush. And so my mistake was uh, living up to the promise that I made that I would support the eventual Republican uh, nominee. Jeb decided not to do that, and Jeb's position was that Trump wasn't a Republican, so he was technically still living up to his vow, because if you look at the flotation of the budget and you look at the way Trump has handled himself, it's not traditional core conservative value. So, so I made a mistake, and then I started doing something that I pray for the two of you that you never do, and I pray for your, your listeners. I started doing some moral equivocation and cognitive dissonance around Trump's personality and sort of the nonsense that he was doing, and I shouldn't have done that. And so my Republican colleagues are still doing that. I mean, you know, poor Kevin McCarthy, he's my age, right. he looks 200. He looks like <laughs> he met George Washington, uh, you know, back in 1789. Because what's happening is the subversion of your brain has a very, very big effect on your body. And what I told Mayor Giuliani is he's going to move the goalposts on you until you end up in jail like Michael Cohen. And so that's what, that's what he does to people. And the, the squad commentary, when he went after the squad, I don't like the squad. I'm a lifelong conservative Republican. I would rather debate the squad in the free marketplace of ideas. I don't need them to go back to the quote-unquote country they originally came from. I'd like to hash it out with them here in this country. Three of them were born here one of which was naturalized as a citizen here, 
all four democratically elected to our Congress. I've got no problem uh, going to the bully pulpit and debating all four of them, four on one for that matter. But as it relates to Mr. Giuliani or other people, they've disavowed their personal integrity. They've disavowed their personal family history in order to support the president. And so, so maybe he hasn't changed, guys, but I have changed. I've become more psychologically minded. I've become more aware. Uh, my firing from the White House was a very humbling experience. I made the decision post-firing uh, to try to support the president. And for two years, I was a loyal media advocate for him, and I did try to support him. Um, but I think uh, going back to last summer, when he started saying that nonsense, that was the last straw for me. Um, and, and I think it's the last straw for a lot of people. I don't, you know, again, they put up Bernie Sanders, they put up Elizabeth Warren. Many moderates will hold their nose and vote for Donald Trump. Anthony, but I think people have made up their minds that he's a despicable person and his base will, you know, will let him shoot people on Fifth Avenue. But most people have had enough of the guy. Anthony, I have a question, another question regarding the Democratic field. So you have a couple outsiders in the field like Andrew Yang and Tom Steyer. And you yourself were an outsider in Washington. You worked your way to the highest level of government. You had already worked your way to the highest levels of finance at Goldman Sachs and then later starting Skybridge, a very successful hedge fund. So my question is, were you just driven nuts by the slowness, the bureaucratic? nature of D.C.? Do you think outsiders in Washington is a good formula? Because some people are like, we're tired of the politicians, our career politicians are annoying, we've had enough, it's all nonsense. And then uh, what is it like being an outsider in Washington? Should we encourage in the future? Should we vote for outsiders? What do you think? Well, I, I, I definitely think that we need to vote for more outsiders. I think what, what happens in Washington, they have an enormous immunological system and so what they do is they try to reject, they try to do everything in their power to reject outsiders. Um, and I, I sort of felt you get to Washington, it's a very binary thing. Uh, people look at you and they say, bought, can't be bought. And, you know, if you can be bought, they say, okay, this is great. I don't think Washington's a swamp. I think it's a gold-plated hot tub without a drain. <laughs> so if you can be bought, they say, okay, hey, this is great. Come into the hot tub with us. Here's two bottles of Cristal. Here's a Cubano, let's smoke the cigar, and let's help each other, you know, subvert and corrupt through subversion and corruption, take money from the average citizen who's getting taxed. That's basically what happens. So, so if you can't be bought, then they do everything they possibly can maniacally to get you ejected from Washington. So, so unfortunately, if you want to heal the problem, no legislative progress, no executive progress, I mean, the good news for the United States is Trump is actually a very, very weak president. He's gotten little to nothing done legislatively. Um, his executive orders uh, could be immediately reversed by the next uh, Democrat. Um, and, you know, he, he, the only thing he could really put his, his hat on is the judicial appointments. And, and obviously he needed Mitch McConnell's help for that. But at the end of the day, he's actually a very, very weak president. I mean, but the, the problem with him being such a weak president is he's really hurt our national security standing, and he's actually hurt our relationships uh, abroad. I mean, he's a laughingstock abroad, and he's arguably the most unpopular human being, uh, if not in human history, he's certainly the most pop unpopular human being in our current society. So he, I would say that he's the most unpopular living human being hmm. in the world. Well, 
one of his selling points, though, in the campaign was that he is so rich, he cannot be bought. I mean, do you view him now as someone that has been bought off? And if he has been bought, yeah, I mean, who, who's buying him? Bought off. I mean, look, I mean, you know, look at, look at how those troops moved uh, with the situation in Turkey and some other stuff that's gone on in the Middle East and elsewhere. I mean, I mean, there's, there's no question that this guy can be bought, and he's obviously not as wealthy as he said. If he was as wealthy as he said, you would be seeing his tax returns. If he was, quote-unquote, had a perfect phone call and didn't break the law and breach the Constitution, uh, he would be uh, allowing these witnesses to come and testify and exonerate him. So, so I mean, there's just so many things there. Uh, but one thing he's done, and Joseph Goebbels explained this uh, during the Nazi era, make it a very big lie and repeat that lie thousands and thousands of times, and then eventually what will happen is a large group in the population, will, their eyes will glaze over, and they'll just say, okay, this is the status quo. And what, what, I, what I found about that trade deal, it's a very mediocre trade deal, uh, quite insubstantial, this phase one trade deal. As somebody that's got $11 billion under management, 31 years of experience on Wall Street, reading through the trade deal, I mean, the, the Chinese are just laughing at the guy. Okay, and that's fine. He positions it like it's this great thing. Which is, by the way, what he ran to go against, is he would say, the, the Chinese are laughing at us. You know, we're going to change that. We're going to flip the script real fast in Washington. And you're saying okay, it's just laugh, worse. They're laughing harder at him than anybody. So They, they and, want him to win re-election so badly because they've completely rolled the guy. He, it turns out he's actually a, a terrible negotiator, but he's a gigantic blusterer, go look through the trade deal. I mean, you're, you're not even back to the soybean uh, purchases that we had prior to him starting the trade war uh, in the trade deal. Uh, there's no real pull on intellectual property. There's no real pull on copyrights. I mean, the Chinese are laughing. They gave him a modest win. They would like him to win re-election. And, you know, again, you know, President Xi's not standing for re-election next year. He has destroyed the hard and soft power of the United States internationally. He's allowed China to eclipse the United States in Africa in terms of the promise of development and growth, uh, which was actually helping the United States globally. And this, uh, this America first strategy that Trump has in many ways has become America alone. You don't have to read Phil Rucker's book to understand that he doesn't understand what an ally is and he doesn't really have a concept for what America's standing was prior to his arrival in the presidency. But, but the, the, the thing that scares me the most about Trump, and this is something that Steve Bannon knows, is Trump's worldview. You know, because he's not an intellect, he has a hard time articulating what that worldview is. But what he would literally like to do is wall off the United States, literally and figuratively, from the rest of the world, manufacture and produce everything we need inside the United States, and go against the David Ricardo aphorism that no nation can get what it needs at the lowest price unless it does trade with other nations. Trump wants to subvert that, take the country back to the 1890s. Um, you know, and look, we're, we're an incredible country. We might be able to do a lot of that, but you'll send the rest of the world into abject poverty. So, so it's for this and many other reasons that the Chinese would love. He's accelerating the decline of the American empire. He's He's totally botched the Middle East with his strategy. Um, he's dissembled our relationships with the Western European allies. 
Uh, his revocation of the TPP has allowed China to run rampant in Asia. Um, and, I mean, so, you know, well, the, the unfortunate thing is that because he's got a bunch of politicians running against him, no one would be able to come at him intellectually the way I'm, I'm coming at him right now. Um, because you know they're 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 not used to running capital or 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 under you know they're, they're used to the uh, the pablum and the sound bites that they think that their consultants are telling them are the right things to say to the American people and and everybody knows that I mean you know, you, you can barely watch some of these politicians uh, on television because you're glazed over with their you know bullet point sanitized nonsense. Well, Anthony, you're you're a refreshing critic of the president. Would you ever consider primarying him? Is that possible? So I can't I can't primary him for another number of different reasons. They've canceled many of these primaries. You know, I mean, if I primaried him, could I get 10, 15, or 20 percent of the vote and possibly do some damage to him? Yeah, I could, but that's not going to be the best use of my time. The best the best use of my time will be after the conventions are over, working uh, alongside the Lincoln Project, and hopefully we have a moderate Democratic candidate. Uh, is surgically going into those 11 swing states. And as Steve Bannon knows, and the Lincoln Project guys know, we just need to peel off 3 to 5% of the people uh, that voted for this man that find him completely lawless, completely repulsive, completely un-American. Uh, you can't be a bigger bully than Donald Trump. And I, and I know there may be a few Hollywood movies where the bully wins, but they're not great movies. They're all dystopian movies. I'm talking about the happy ending movies in Hollywood. <laughs> the bully rarely wins. Uh, and so what we can do is we can get in there and explain to suburban women and how this, this guy is very, very bad for your children. Uh, sitting on top of the presidency of the United States, emanating this churlish nonsense uh, that the globe has to pay attention to. He's heightened people's anxieties. He's made the world less safe. He's given uh, a license for anger and rancor in the country that's totally unnecessary. The first name of the country is United. It's not the dystopian states of America. It's the United States of America. And so, so I, I think my time will be better served uh, going into those 11 swing states, uh, which I'm already doing. I was in Iowa, actually, the evening of the debate, spoke to 1,200 people at the La Iowa Land Expo, People are tired of Trump, and I think we just got to get 3 to 5% of those people. Certainly, 35% of the cultish base will stay with him, but peeling off 3 to 5%, he'll lose the election. Anthony, we've got one more question before we go to rapid-fire yeah. cues at the end. You know, one thought I had, especially at the time, and this isn't lip service just because we're talking to you now, is my friends and I, so many others, you know, you were a big star during your brief stint as communication director and slightly beforehand for those paying close attention. And did the president's hate that you had the spotlight? Because it seems like anybody who takes even part of the spotlight, even if Steve Bannon getting credit for his campaign win or Pence at any given time, he hates when people take part of the spotlight. Do you think that was part of what went into you leaving the White House and him firing you? You know, listen, I mean, it would, it would be too self-serving and too self-complimentary to suggest that. So, you know, I would ask you to ask other people that to get the real true story about why I got fired. But, you know, guys like John Kelly, who I've now become close to, H.R. Uh, McMaster, there are no co-stars in Trump's orbit. Ronald Reagan had a plaque on the uh, desk in the Oval Office. It said, you can get anywhere you want in life 
as long as you don't care who gets the credit. Donald J. Trump is the exact opposite of that. Now, there's one spotlight. There are no co-stars. Uh, there's a, there was a joke among the cabinet officials of Trump turned to you and to President Trump turned to you and said, hey, you're getting more famous than me. That was the sign you were about to get blown from the, you know, from, from the administration. And so he's an unbelievably insecure guy. He is loaded with a tremendous amount of self-hatred. I mean, you can't bully suburban housewives if you're not loaded with a tremendous amount of self-hatred. And what I would say about Trump, he's a modern-day Inca or Mayan. Uh, he has a volcano of personal self-hatred. So when he sees a guy like Rex Tillerson, who's bright, accomplished, an Eagle Scout, ran Exxon Mobil, his family actually loves him, all of those things that Trump despises about himself, he lifts somebody like Rex Tillerson up and he throws him in the volcano of his personal self hatred. Hey, Anthony, so, if you get if you get tired so, of hedge funds, yeah, he probably did that to me. What? Say if, that again? if you get tired of hedge funds, you should look into poetry. Uh, well, no, I look. I love I love what I do for a living, and uh, but I'm gonna work super hard on this. This guy is uh, this guy's got to go, and if he doesn't go, then we're gonna have to work super hard on how we're gonna contain his incredible lawless behavior. Uh, in a if you think he's bad now. Well, wait, wait for the second term. All right. Well, Anthony, here's some rapid fire questions for you. Ready? Yeah, go ahead. Best pizza in New York. Oh, man. The best pizza in New York is actually Salvatore's cold fired pizza in Port Washington on Long Island. And I've had every goddamn pizza in New York, (laughs) but that is the best pizza. Salvatore's cold fired pizza. It's on Shore Road in Port Washington on Long Island. All right, I thought you were about to say Sabaro. All right, we got uh, one more, <laughs> okay, or another one. Sabaro, not, no, Sabaro's, you know, not, not terrible, but it's not, not up there. Okay. Go ahead. Who is the greatest Italian-American of all time? Um, the greatest Italian-American of all time uh, is Frank Sinatra. Outstanding. Answer. And, I can, and I can give you a whole articulation as to why. Uh, but Frank Sinatra uh, uh, had a coolness about him and a swag, and he was an incredible contemporary artist. And I think that uh, the more you study Frank Sinatra, and uh, Kaplan wrote two very good books about him, uh, a two-volume set. I would recommend those books to you. I would say Frank Sinatra. Who would win in golf? You were the president. Yeah, I don't play golf, so uh, I could probably beat him in miniature golf. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would cheat more on their scorecard? Let me just answer the question. The president would win because he's got the Trump foot wedge. He would cheat his ass. <laughs> oh, my okay, gosh. So go ahead. All right, Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods? Greater athlete. In terms of who, who's the better athlete? All time. Well, I got to I gotta give it to uh, – I. well, listen, I mean, I'm not a golfer, though, so I got to give it to Jordan. I think that uh, – here's what I'd say about Jordan – uh, and Woods has this too, but it, you know Jordan wants the ball with two seconds left, and Jordan will stick it in the hoop from the stands if he had to. Absolutely. To win the championship. All right. What is your favorite country to visit? Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question here: Niners or Chiefs? Who you got? Super Bowl. Okay, so I'm actually going to the game uh, this morning. I told my trainer I thought there'd be a three-point spread. It looks like there's a one and a half point spread, but I wow. think the 49ers are going to beat them. Absolutely. That's the correct answer. I've been hearing this yep. Chiefs BS all day. Thank you for the truth, not just yep. on the Super Bowl, but on all things we ask you today. Thank well, you so least, much for your time. Least, at least you know I'm not a spin meister like some of these people you probably have. <laughs> well, folks, that was Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch. 
Frost, what do you think? He's got some choice words for the president. Uh, like him, I can't tell. I don't think so. <laughs> it, it wasn't entirely clear. Thinks the president's family hates him, which is one interesting takeaway from that. Hey, that was implied. He did not say that explicitly. He implied it. I like, though, that he did say that it wasn't the president who changed. It was the mooch who changed. That was a we, good self-reflective answer. My favorite part, though, was when he totally owned Frost about, oh, yeah, well, where did you get that poll from? About 95%. <laughs> and then he just refused to answer. And then you, he just well, because I don't know the name of the polls, but if you look all the time, I mean, he's polling between 87 True. and 91%. Percent regularly, how, how 95. Or I, I mean, the one that up, the but. president cites is 95, and as he points out, maybe that's the least reliable one. But Rasmussen had him. The other, they had him in December at 91. I checked yeah. that earlier, and then lately, you know, comparable to that, 90, 91, 88. But you know, I think this all goes to show when you step into the ring with the mooch, you better have some ammo on you. Yeah, I'll learn that the hard way. Unfortunately. <laughs> You did. I mean, I think a lot of this is a composition effect, too, though, where a lot of people that used to be Republicans just don't call themselves Republicans anymore. So, of course, the ones that are left are going to support the president very highly. He said at one point the president had something about 41 or or 44 percent approval in the country, which if you think about the percentage of the country that's Republicans would translate roughly to 90 ish percent. Yeah. And and of course, no matter I mean, whether it's 85 or 95, it doesn't matter. President is not going to lose a primary to Bill Weld or whoever. In fairness to the mooch, because don't act like he wouldn't have a great response here. He does talk about how a lot of independents support Trump, the disenchanted, the, the ones who voted for Obama, the ones who voted for Sanders in the 16 primary. So there is support for the president coming outside the Republican Well, that, that's why I'm excited when we go to Iowa to meet some of them. And we're going, what are we going? We're going next Thursday, January 30th, we'll hit the road. First stop, Indianapolis. We'll be talking to some mayors along the way to have a separate episode on mayors of the Midwest. Talk about the heartland here, about how they view D.C., the big issues over there. And now I think we plugged last week earlier this week on the podcast. We want recommendations. One listener sent us a recommendation on the highway, the United 93 Memorial in Pennsylvania, which is on the highway between here and Indianapolis. So we're going to hopefully stop there on the way. I didn't even know that existed, but that should be interesting. Absolutely. And lest we forget, this same friend also recommended a sandwich shop called Promonti Brothers outside of Pittsburgh. Promonti Brothers. Have you heard of it? Absolutely. I'm a Western PA man. Well, Well, four years. For four years, I lived there. The same guy said, also, it sounds like other Max is from Pennsylvania. He probably knows this spot. And Shout out Latrobe, PA. Absolutely. I lived there for four Let's years. Let's just say his name. Thank, thank you, Michael Smith, for, the, for these two Thank you, Michael Smith and Michael Smith. Would you guys know why Primanti Brothers is well-known? Fries on the sandwich. Ooh, really? put fries on what the kind sandwich. of sandwich? Pastrami? They have like pastrami. Well, the, one of the native Pittsburgh things is sauerkraut. So you can get like a Reuben or something with sauerkraut. They put on steel it. on that sandwich? They put... Steel, <laughs> steel is the wrapper. It's wrapped in steel. No, and thank you for that recommendation, Michael Smith. And well, please send more. Yeah, everybody else be more like Mike. We need the recommendations. But now we got a new segment coming up. Well, actually, an old segment that you've heard before. So crazy, it just might work. Where we all go around, mention a policy idea that might sound a little off the wall on the surface, but you dig into it. And it is actually a fantastic idea. Frost, since you're the most pessimistic one, I want you to go first. And can I say this? I hope senators and congresspersons and congressional staffers are listening today because we have three unbelievable, well, I'll speak for myself, one unbelievable policy idea. Frost, what's yours? I'll start out with a question. Are any of you guys sick and tired of sitting in traffic? Constantly sitting in traffic. No, I don't have a car. (laughs) I am sick and tired of it. We're all sick and tired of it. So here's my idea. And in the short run, it's going to be painful, but we're going to get over it in the long run because it's going to incentivize progress. So the idea is we, we only have HOV lanes. It is patently illegal to sit in your car by yourself. You'll get fined for it. 
And if you don't think some app is going to come up that will put you in touch with other people for cheap rides to the city, if you don't think people are going to create jetpacks, if you don't think people are going to create better technology than a crappy little Toyota Prius to sit out there and waste away the day, you know how much time the average American spends sitting in his car each year? How much? Do you? I don't, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Everybody hates it. So fix it. We'll get more social. Our societies are cr- crumbling. Communities dying. This way you'll have people together. You'll have people talking. Freer exchange of ideas. Less polarization. It will fix social ills. It'll lead to new technology. And it will clean up the environment and fix traffic congestion. So let me get this straight. I'm going to drive with Timmy in the next neighborhood over to work every day. And all of a sudden, new businesses are popping up in the Midwest and communities healthy again. And people are going to church. I mean, this is, I like, you know what? All right. Why don't you, why don't you rate it first? I'll give you my rating. Uh, zero stars. When I, when, when, I, when, I, when I heard you open up with, there's going to be some pain on the way, but it's worth it for the goal of total progress. I thought you were quoting Chairman Mao or perhaps Joseph Stalin. Uh, All right. So you got a zero from a, a so what do you say, fascist. I'm going to give it a five. And I, I think five out of 10 is respectable. 5.1. So it's on the positive side of the midway point. And I think I like the idea of engagement and efficiency. I think engage you do well with the E-words today, engagement and efficiency. Well, I appreciate that. I'll give it a 10, and we're going to put this one to action. Call up your congresspeople. Let's get this bill passed. Tui, what do you have? Number two. So we talked about Permani Brothers already. There's another spot in Western Pennsylvania. It's called Sheets. On the Eastern Pennsylvania and New York, they have Wawa, and they have other different places. In Florida, they have Gate. What happens when you go there? I don't know if you guys go to these places. Is Let's say you have eight sodas, and they give you a card, and then you start punching with like a hole puncher, and every time you get a soda... You punch off on the card, and then the ninth soda you order, it's for free, or it'll be with for donuts or burgers or whatever it might be. Healthcare costs are skyrocketing in this country, and we need the reverse to be monitored, which is who's having too much of this stuff? Who's smoking too many cigs? Who's eating too many Krispy Kreme donuts? Who's having too many 64-ounce big gulp sodas? I'm not turning into Mike Bloomberg. I just want our healthcare costs to go down. And so what we need to do is a vice card. It's digital. Every time you buy cigarettes, donuts, big soda, cheeseburgers, maybe not cheeseburgers, big protein, but anytime you have something terrible for your health, unequivocally terrible for your health, you have to scan your digital card and you get 16 swipes a month. Use them wisely. Don't smoke cigs the same day you eat donuts. And all of a sudden, once you get your 17th swipe, you have to start paying double, double the sticker price for that item. What do we think? I had no idea I shared a studio with these two radical social <laughs> engineers over here. I don't, I don't hate the idea in practice because, you know, this is one natural byproduct of socialized medicine where if the right. costs are passed on to everybody, everybody has a stake in everyone else's health. This whole vice card thing, though, it's kind of a perversion of one of my favorite things I have. There's this great ice cream place down the street for me, Carvel. I go there, get an ice cream cone. I have five of those. I get the next one free, and it's fantastic. And I, I mean, I take care of my health. I don't think I don't think you, I, you're punishing a lot of people here. How about we flip the script here, and instead of having a vice card, we have a virtue a virtue, a virtue card. card, where you get some kind of benefit for doing the right thing instead of punishing those who do what the wrong holding thing. a door and eating hummus. I don't want to get you. Nobody should get points for that crap. And he's having Corvell's six times a day. It'll show up, boys, on your on your tax tabs in the future. But let me hear the ratings. I'll give it a four. I don't hate the idea. I was, yes! was going to give it a four as well. Yes. <laughs> Which means a, an average of four is the highest score any policy on this has received yet. 
Congratulations. Ever. I want, I hope the Mooch, if the Mooch listens to the rest of the episode, I hope he can give us a rating. Mooch, let us know what you think of the Vice card. We'd love your thoughts. All right, Matt Weinstein, Matt what Weinstein. do you have? Guaranteed to be a zero. Doubtful, <laughs> doubtful. Yeah, if it, if it is, it's fake news because you're biased. But my idea is we hear so much now about how political parties and polarization are the death of this country. And maybe we need a third party. Maybe we just shouldn't have parties at all. All that stuff is total nonsense. We should go the opposite way. We should mandate membership in a political party. A year before the next election, it comes around, you get your voter ID card or whatever, and you must register for a party. And I will tell you why. Because in Virginia, we have this thing called open primary states where I can go, in fact, I plan to do this, I can go vote in the Democratic primary come March or whenever. I'm a civically minded person. I'm going to vote for who I think the best candidate is. Rush Limbaugh, for example, told all his Republican listeners to go sabotage the Democratic primary. And the same thing could happen where I had a very liberal professor at UVA who told me he voted for Donald Trump in the Virginia primary because he, quote, wanted to destroy the Republican Party. To prevent all this, we need to have everybody announce from the get-go what party they belong to. If everybody's in a party, the parties will then be responsive to more people. Right now, the people that drive the agenda are the media and these very elite people that have all the money or they have all the influence. If we had mass membership parties, the working man— Wait, I have a cool question. How, how, can you only register for Republican or Democrat? Or can yeah, you do green? You can only—well, you can register for Republican, Democrat, or maybe an independent, but then you can't vote in either one's party. The idea would be it would be mainly those two parties, but you can switch it. So your year. your policy idea is basically what we're doing now because if you register as an independent— isn't that what you are now? Like everybody has to be registered as one, right? No, not in Virginia, not in a lot of states. Oh, really? And, well, and don't you don't you default to independent if you don't register? Well, yeah, but the main issue now is most people don't think about it at all. This would force people to choose a team. And I, like I, for example, I might not agree with everything one party stands for, but I know broadly which way I'm going to come down. And then if there's a bunch of people like me who join a party that don't like every message, at least the party has to be responsive to our desires. I think this is an absolutely horrible idea. I think, right. a, much be- I think a much better idea would be to have mandatory voting like they have in Australia. Uh-huh. I personally don't support that. But at least there, here you're forcing people to affiliate themselves with some other group of people they don't even necessarily want to affiliate themselves with. In Australia, they're forcing people to participate in democracy. So you can cast a protest vote. You can do whatever you want. But here you're saying, look, you may want nothing to do with these people, but as the government, we will force you to pick one group of people to align yourself with. I'm going to give it a three. The thing is, I don't know how crazy it is. Like, it, it, it is a little crazy. No, they do it in one-party states all around the world. They do it in dictatorships. Oh, that's, ha- what, that's what I'm being compared to. Where, where, where you have to have I it so you that you get a job. I see the world through the filter of is this a dictatorship or not? Because I think a lot of these ideas are inside. The, the vice card is so innocent. It's unbelievable. Your ID gets a three, unless I said a two, but I'm going to go three now. And what do you think it gets? I'm not a fan. I'm not going to voice my, my number because it may upset Matt too much. Is it a whole number? <laughs> it's an irrational number. <laughs> From an irrational man. Well, Got folks. Respond to us at banteredai.org with what you think of our so crazy it just might work policy ideas. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week for a very special episode. A very special episode indeed. Next week is the 400th episode of Banter. 400 episodes. We have a huge special, great guest coming on. We can't wait, and we will talk to you then.